just before we get started with this episode, I want to let you know that on the 6th of December at 6.30pm UK time, I am going to be hosting another webinar. It's called The Five-Step Process to Nailing Down and Executing Your Property Investment Strategy Over the Next 12 Months. You are definitely going to want to come and join me in it. We're going to cover how to navigate a growing market and still buy investments that work. And I've just done that. The three-step process to completing your property investment strategy in one sitting. You'll get the exact step-by-step guide to completing your own tailor-made strategy. How your strategy will determine your property investment shopping list and keep you laser focused, unlike your competition. And finally, how to get over analysis paralysis and shiny penny syndrome. If you want to come to that, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. That's my last live webinar of 2021. I want to see you there. Again, it's Monday 6th of December at 6.30pm UK time. I cannot wait to see you live. Hello and welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host of this podcast. I'm also the founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build mixed use, commercial, residential property portfolios that completely align with their goals. Remember, if you want to find out more about what we do at NC Real Estate, head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk. Today, following in the series, I have another member of Team NCRE on this podcast. Hi, Sam Coleman. How are you? Hi. Yeah, very well. Thank you. So Sam is our residential surveyor and he has been with us. I don't know how many months you've been with us now, but for a while. And Sam heads up anything to do with residential and you do all the residential Q&As as well. So Sam, by way of introduction, can I ask you to give your two minute uh, background on all of your experience and qualifications? I'll give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, residentially focused for the last uh, 20, just coming up to 20 years or so. Um, started out in a state agency um, for uh, about 12 years or so um, did everything in between um, uh, so everything from lettings administrator viewing rep uh, neg branch manager um, uh, when I left I was the um, uh, area director of the lettings and property management department over a few branches um, and latterly uh, so at that point, I did my um, property mark qualifications for um, lettings and property management. Um, and then in my new employment, which I've been doing for the last four or five years, um, I am the I started off as a lettings manager, a business manager, and I'm now the uh, group director of property for a private investment company. Um, and I have, within the last 12 months or so, um, become chartered. Um, and I took a, a slightly different pathway to chartership, I would I would probably say is fair. Um, so I did my associate RICS 
qualification whilst I was in residential practice in a state agency. Um, I then did a top-up course by UCEM um, to get my thousand, I think it was called the 900 hours program, basically, where you get enough credits to sit your um, MRACS um, uh, APC route to obtain membership to the RICS, uh, which I completed uh, about nine to 12 months ago. Um, and I think that's that's probably it. In terms of my current employment, um, it is very multifaceted. So I deal with asset management of residential portfolio, ongoing property management. We also have commercial interests, a ground rent portfolio, um, land development. Um, so I think traditionally uh, a general practice of air is, is sort of what I would have been called a, a few years ago. Mm. enough of a summary <laughs> good summary interestingly though that you went into the resi route rather than commercial route because most surveyors will go commercial what interests you so much about residential I know that's a I'm not mm. saying residential is bad I do residential as well but it's just interesting because you, you, you're a rarity within the industry I am. And I mean, I, I qualified via the commercial pathway, but that was really more um, that was really more of a personal choice to push me to develop my understanding of commercial property. Um, but um, yeah, residential is, is, is what I practice. I suppose traditionally it's not seen as sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of surveyors or my peers get into commercial property because it's where they consider the the big interesting deals are made um but uh I don't know I have an affinity for residential because of my estate agency background I suppose um and I quite like building pathology you know the way buildings are put together um the idiosyncrasies with traditional building types um and the day-to-day ongoing management, I think, is far more relationship-focused in terms of those, those individual consumers, whereas commercial-led stuff uh, can be quite formal, business-to-business. Um, you know, there are smaller retailers and, and, and sort of sole traders and landlords that have more of a personal relationship, but that's one of the things I enjoy about residential more so you know you yeah. can deal with granny goggins and you get to know them over a longer period of time and about their uh, their sort of life story and I don't know I quite like it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um what are you seeing in the industry at the moment that is working in terms of residential property investment um it's a it's a very competitive market there is um i think people have got to really bide their time be patient um there are opportunities but i think yeah you've got to be patient and wait for them to come around i think back to basics a lot of people are in my experience a lot of the more well-versed investors are going back to basics and looking at traditional housing stock um rather than concentrating on higher yield returns perceived 
higher yield returns in the serviced accommodation and HMO markets. Um, so the traditional buy-to-lets with assured short-hold tenancies in place are as attractive as they've ever been. I think build-to-rent is one of the biggest emerging markets um, and modular housing. So I think um, we are now, I mean, if you consider the disparity when I first started um, all those years ago, uh, there was a, um, there was perhaps a more transient uh, tenant base. So our average, average tenancies was somewhere between nine and 12 months whereas the model has moved somewhat towards a more European model, where I think tenants are, generally speaking, less transient in certain places. Um, so our, the way our model works, sort of um, in terms of our own investment portfolio, lends itself to, to increasing the, the time of tenants uh, of tenancies. But it is somewhere between two and a half to three years on average. Mm-hmm which is a huge shift um, and people are making that decision more and more commonly to rent for a longer term you know time period than they, than they were before i think if you go into city centers and things you might find a more um transient millennial workforce that's willing to move but there is still an appetite to to rent for longer term and even not to purchase um so yeah it's uh, it's it's a far different market to the one that I entered into. But in terms of your original question, um, traditional investment stock on the short short hold tenancies um, with sort of good well known construction types and the um, and the build to rent model. Mm-hmm. And where are you seeing? Because you work all over the country, right? Yeah. Where are you seeing the best returns at the moment? Where are you seeing? If you had to invest in an area right now, which area would you be investing in? Midlands up to the north. I think that's a very um, general sentiment, but I think that um, in our experience, the market in London particularly has probably for now had its time Um, and there were less returns to be had there um, with the advent of better connectivity through HS2 and um, uh, better infrastructure, generally speaking, um, and larger investment outside of the south we're seeing real returns um, are available the further the further north you go to an extent i think birmingham leeds manchester um, and the outlying suburbs are seeing far better returns of, of, of the of they had for, for quite some time now um, mm-hmm. we're focusing as a group particularly in in birmingham where the suburbs are seeing some really decent percentage returns as the city center uh, and its effects ripple outward. Yeah, yeah. And if you had to say you had deep pockets right now, all the cash that you could get your hands on, what would you personally be investing in with the knowledge that you've got right now? Um, hmm. I think um, at the moment I would be investing in good quality known construction stock so edwardian victorian housing um, anything up to relatively recent stock that's built well um i would be investing in things that are um 
have a sort of a, a wide demographic in terms of their potential letable audience. So we're we're seeing a lot of scope for two bed, traditionally built two up two down terrace accommodation because mm-hmm. of the, the the market that it serves. You go anywhere from young professional to couples to divorcees to small family units to retired couples that have sort of sold out and want to whittle down any capital um they they go particularly well freehold blocks flats in good fettle um mixed use developments i think with tertiary and secondary retail have got really good legs for us our existing stock um in terms of secondary tertiary retail has, has been doing in the right location particularly well post-pandemic um, and during pandemic to be honest I think we've seen a real resurgence of the butcher the baker and the candlestick maker um, people are willing to actually more focused on shopping locally rather than going to those big retail parks um, because in a well-serviced sort of parade or development you can get most of what you want to get you get a personal level of service and the quality of the product can be as good if not better um, and as a result, those sorts of precincts for us have been doing really well and they've been letting very well as well. Um, yeah. The primary retail that's been taking a bit of a hammering. So uh, in summary, good traditional, um, well-known construction types that serve a good demographic and tertiary secondary retail with mixed development to de-risk it for you slightly. Mm-hmm. And why do you think, when you're talking about de-risking, can you explain more for my audience why you would want the de- why you would want to de-risk that side of the portfolio? Is it because of the residential element, or is it because you just want something other than residential? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the disparity, the 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 difference in terms of the investment or subsectors um, de-risk it because when other areas of the market might not be performing as well as they could, you hope that inside that portfolio or that specific development it would be counterbalanced by um, whatever else is there. You know, in terms of an example, the private rented sector, um, oddly by the Conservative government for the last five to 10 years, has um, endured a a real period of of red tape. There's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of controls that are coming, which traditionally for for a Tory government uh, has not ever been the case. Um, I think it's a market that will be more and more legislated mm-hmm. um you know for every one of our lettings these days um through our lettings agency we have to do an inordinate amount of things to, to to get compliance so as that market becomes more and more legislated um and i think you know i, I don't even um if i were betting man, i wouldn't be ruling out rent controls if a if a labor or or slightly more leftist government came in i wouldn't I wouldn't rule out some of those things so you've got that residential element in your in your portfolio, which which is subject to those. I think by contrast, the retail market, um, which has undergone a process of 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 real um, well, a bit of resurgence in a way, but it is less controlled, um, offers a, a balance to that position. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as an example, if we are heavily regulated in terms of the residential sector and we see a flattening of rents we would hope that that would be counter um, posed by a retail market that's particularly buoyant and vice versa Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So here's a question talking about red tape. I was reading the papers yesterday in the UK, like I do on a Sunday. One of the headlines was, this landlord said that he would sell up his whole portfolio rather than buying air source heat pumps. Interesting. What are your thoughts on, seeing as you're someone who loves the sustainability side of things, what do you think about changing the air source heat pumps? What are your thoughts on this? I think that there is still work to be done in terms of its affordability and mm -hmm. tech's affordability in general. I think the government incentives that have been put in place are something, um, but I don't think they go quite far enough. But I think we all have a um, an ethical and a moral, a moral responsibility to at least explore sustainability. Um, yeah. No secret, the planet is not in a good place. Um, and I think if you look at it purely from a, an economic perspective or a business uh, from a business case perspective, it is something that tenants are more and more um, conscious of um, in terms of their own costs um, and in terms of the, 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 the you know the state of the, the climate um, position. So I think it's massively important. Um, and it adds value to an extent. I'm not saying for every penny of sustainability, sustainable tech you put into a property, you'd see that in terms of capital increase, but it makes a difference. Um, and I think it's going to become more and more prevalent as, as, as the weeks and months and years come up to go on. Um, for us as a firm, we are putting in a sustainable, we're writing our sustainable um, uh, policy at the moment. It's in draft as of the uh, start of the next financial year we are going to put a sustainable piece of tech in each property every fortnight um which i, I realize is perhaps slightly dramatic but we've got quite a few to get through um and if the changes the rumor changes to energy performance ratings um and other legislative change are going to come about as fast as we think they are it's something that people investors in particular need to wake up to now um, but in terms of brass taxes and ongoing costs, we have two or three properties with systems in at the moment. Um, and one of the tenants of a property we did in Derby recently uh, has phoned up specifically to comment on the ongoing costs of the air source heat pump in the property. Um, the comments made make me think that uh, it will be a factor in determining how long they remain at the property. Yeah. It is significantly less in terms of its ongoing costs than conventional systems. In this property specifically, tenants quoting about 50%. Wow. Yeah, lower than the conventional gas boiler system that is in there. And this air source heat pump was retrofitted to that wet system, utilising all of the existing infrastructure, just removing the boiler. How much roughly did that cost to put in, if you don't mind me asking? Cost about um, six and a half thousand, okay. which is roughly double what you'd pay for a gas central heating system and all of its accessories on, a, on an average three bed STEMI, say, for where it is geographically. But with the air source heat system, uh, that the renewable heat incentive, you will see payback over a period of time. Um, a good chunk of that capital outlay will, will come back. Mm -hmm. um, so 
short-term pain but a, a longer-term position I think will see you in a much better much better place yep agreed agreed and you're saying that you're going to put sustainability technology in every two weeks how small are you starting with sustainability technology does that mean like one property it will be light bulbs for example no no um yeah I should have um sort of um substantiated that we're talking significant investment Okay. So I think I think it's about looking at each property at vacancy. It's about it's a very multifaceted um, uh, sort of process. We look at properties at vacancy. Mm-hmm. We have a strategy document that itemizes all of the infrastructure which is in each of the properties. So we can look at life expectancy of each of the boilers, and proactively as they're coming to say 10, 11 years, we're coming towards the winter. We will take opportunity to change those prior to failure. Um, and we're looking heavily at uh, solar tech, mm-hmm. um, so solar panelling, and so that we don't have any false economy. If we're changing a roof on a property, for instance, and we've got the significant cost of scaffold, we will go, let's put some solar on the roof. And I think we'll do that in almost every um, instance where we're putting a new roof on a property. Wow. And how long do you expect the payback period to be? Payback's going to vary and it'll be dependent upon the scheme to which we um, is, is available to us at the time. Uh, the renewable heat incentive um, in terms of the air source heat pump systems at the moment is payback within about six years, dependent on the property. So um, on a, that bad. It's not too bad. You know, I would say that um, in lay terms, it's, it's as much about keeping the heat in as, a, as, a, as well as um, pumping the heat in so the insulative properties of the, of the property are incredibly important so it is a um we're doing those two elements hand in hand there's no point in putting an air source heat pump into a building that's going to leak it out immediately uh so yeah roof insulation external wall insulation um double glazing all of those elements are being looked at um in unison with one another mm-hmm. okay so final question what is your biggest bugbear that investors overlook when buying residential property? My biggest bugbear that residential. I think there is um, due diligence, I think, in terms of any investment is massively important. Yeah. I think there is a perception uh, frequently that you will receive a gross return on an ongoing basis and you will have no problems whatsoever. I think um, a lot of investors aren't realistic enough about ongoing maintenance, ongoing legislative um, uh, compliance um, and ongoing preventative maintenance and reinvestment. Uh, I think it's something that's massively overshadowed. Um, You know, we have hospitality venues within the investment company and it's particularly rife there um but there is an expectation almost that you put you buy a property you put a tenant in you receive x amount every month consistently and then when they leave you relet it well that's just not how it works (laughs) um so strategically you've got to look at those elements do a budget um expect ongoing expense and reinvest in the assets if you want it to be worth more in the future and, and you want to have uh, less frequent headaches. 
do you have a ballpark of how much of a percentage of the rent that you put away for contingencies or maintenance? Um, I think there's reluctance to put a number on it because it's dependent upon yeah. the building. You know, a grade two listed cottage uh, is very different to a one bed apartment in a self-contained um, self-contained apartment in a development. I think a bare minimum you should be looking at 10%. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Completely agree with that. Um, yeah. Sam, it's been a pleasure for your first appearance on the podcast. Will you come back? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. I hope for all of you listening that this has been really, really useful for you. Again, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It really helps us as well get this podcast out further afield. Thank you so much for listening today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.